that Mindy and I had the chance on Friday to go to El Redentor United Methodist Church, which is one of our sister churches as part of the Rio Grande Conference here in the El Paso area. We were able, we were invited to go by their pastor Santiago because um, they just had vacation Bible school this last week where they had 31 children that participated, and this is a church that has not had. Um, vacation Bible school in a number of years before the Heredias. I share that with you, and the reason we were invited was as a way to extend to our church thanks. I don't know if you all know, but we pass on our vacation Bible school material every year to El Redentor. We've done it for the last two years. We passed on this year's stuff that we used just a couple of weeks ago to their church so that they can offer vacation Bible school to the children in their community. And so I just wanted to thank you all for um, supporting children and ministry in our church. And I'm proud that our church is able to share the blessings that we've been given with other churches. So that there are other children in our community that were touched by Vacation Bible School. And um, 31 of them at that church last week. And it was just a blessing. And so I want to thank you for that and just share that with you. Um, it's just an amazing thing that you and I can be a part of as the body of Christ here in El Paso. This morning we're reading from the story. Uh, for our visitors, St. Luke has been engaged in the reading of this book, which is called The Story. The Bible is one continuing story of God and His people. The authors, uh, Max Lucado, many of you are familiar with. He writes a lot of devotionals. Randy Frazee is also a popular preacher. Um, they have written or arranged the Bible as a chronological novel. And so um, it reads from the book of Genesis to the very end, Revelation, much like a story where they've taken the highlights of, of the Bible and, and listed them. And then some of the parts that get a little repetitive, especially in the Old Testament, they paraphrase with just like a paragraph and then they move on to the next one. And so we've started that this book uh, the first Sunday in January of this year, which was the book of Genesis. And today we're on chapter 27. And we only have four chapters left after today, um, which today's chapter is about the resurrection. And so if you'd like a copy, I invite you to speak with Dee, who's to my left. Or it's at the Christian Bookstore, Lifeway, or Family Christian Store, or you can get it online, whatever you prefer. Um, to those of you that want to follow along, I'm, I'm on page 381, is where I'll be reading. For those of you that don't have a copy of the story, this is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. If you'd like to follow along. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. 
He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. One other scripture I'd like to read this morning from the story comes from page 385 at the very bottom. If you'd like to follow along in a pew Bible, it comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Jesus has appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to them in the home in Jerusalem where he is eating with them. He um, has revealed himself to Thomas and then he begins to teach them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed from power from on high. Last week we ended our story And we end it on Good Friday every year with Jesus saying the words, It is finished. With them being the final words uh, that he shares as he hung on the cross. The Gospels say that Jesus shared these words and as he did so, he gave up his spirit and he descended into death. Dying before the Roman soldiers could break the bones in his legs to speed up the process of death through crucifixion. Dying in a way that was more or faster than anyone would have expected. Since crucifixion was to have a dual purpose in those times. The first was an obvious punishment for the person that had, been wrong, the person that had done wrong. Their punishment was death. But the second purpose of crucifixion was deterrence. Deterrence for those who saw the bodies lying, hanging there on the cross. To serve as a not-so-subtle reminder of the power of Rome and of the extent that the Romans were willing to go to to make sure that they maintained their power and control over the empire. The Gospel writers write that after his death, as we read this morning from the Gospel of Mark, Joseph of Arimathea went, and he arranged and discussed with Pilate and received the body of Jesus in order to provide for him a burial before the Sabbath started that Friday evening. Then Sunday came. 
After a dark weekend for those who followed Jesus, but also a dark weekend, I believe, for those who were challenged by Jesus. This was a weekend filled with worry for those who had stood up against the Messiah, who had stood up against this man named Jesus just a few days before when he was tried. Because they were wondering, what would the message of this man do now that he had died? Would the message stick? Would it be passed on by those who followed him? Would others continue to claim to be followers of this man named Jesus? Or would his message and vision of a kingdom and a world die as he himself had died? Except, see, I think there's more to their worrying. Because I think they saw and they heard and they knew that there was some bit of truth about Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. When he said to the people, when he said to the disciples that after three days he would rise again. Would it be true? I think those who were challenged by Jesus wondered, was that going to be true? Would he really rise from the dead? Could he really die from the dead? Or could they simply, could he simply just fade away after three days if nothing had happened? But see, there's worry there because as we read this morning, when the chief priests and those who were, who were followers of them went to Pilate, They were worried not just about the resurrection, but they were worried about a manufactured resurrection. They were worried that the people who followed Jesus were going to arrange it and make it appear in such a way that, that, well, that his body wouldn't be there. And in his body not being there, they could claim that the resurrection had occurred and keep people thinking and keep people talking and keep people believing That indeed Jesus was the Son of God. See, I think the night following the resurrection for those who want, or for those, the crucifixion for those that got Jesus crucified, I think that was a night of worry. Because in the back of their minds, there was still this message that they had heard that we know is truth. When he said that he would be risen, that he would rise again, that he would be resurrected from the dead. And there was worry, and so in that worry, they went to the guard, to Pilate. And they told him about what this deceiver had said. And they told him that if Jesus' resurrection would be staged, that it would be an even greater deceit than that which he had deceived or said before. And so Pilate gave them guards, and they put clay around the tomb, the stone that sealed the tomb, and they put a seal in it so that it would pierce, so that they would know that the tomb itself had not been tampered with. But see, for those that followed Jesus, it was also a time of worry. Because their time since the crucifixion was spent in fear and sadness. Sadness because of the death of a Messiah and a friend. Sadness as they mourned the loss of the one that they had chosen to follow. And then there was their fear, which I think was an even greater emotion. Fear that their lives would in some way end like His. Perhaps there was a cross with their name on it. Peter or Matthew, Thomas. We know that some of them eventually had crosses that had their names on them. But we also know that their worry in the hours following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, their worries were 
wondering where or not they, whether or not they too were about to be betrayed and died. Maybe it wasn't going to be a cross. Maybe it was going to be some other form of, ex- of execution designed to discourage the message of Jesus Christ in the same way. See, I think with the events and the ways that they had unfolded, the disciples in some ways were more worried about the cross that might have their name on it than they were looking ahead to the resurrection that Jesus had said would happen. For them, the day following the crucifixion was a day without hope. It was a day of emptiness. It was a day of wandering. It was a day of darkness. It was a day of despair. They themselves were fearing their own, for their own lives more than they could ever anticipate the work of God in the near future. They themselves were more worried about the things that were going to happen to them than they were looking ahead to the resurrection and to the promise that Jesus had told them would happen in just a couple of days. They were in fear. And their fear had caused them to stop thinking and looking and anticipating. They were frozen in their fear. I think it's interesting that we read that. In this morning's gospel and in this chapter of the story as we read all four of the gospels kind of aligned like a novel. I think it's interesting because both parties in this story, if you will, are experiencing fear in the hours and days following the crucifixion. Both those that loved Jesus and did everything that they could to follow Him And those that called Jesus the deceiver and believed that the message and vision of the kingdom that he was proclaiming was wrong. Both of them were driven by fear. Both of them were seized by fear. Both of them were experiencing fear. Because fear is what drove the disciples to hide. To gather as a a group. To sit there in that home in Jerusalem at the 11 and look at each other and wonder which one was going to be betrayed next. Fear is what drove the officials to to go to Pilate following the crucifixion, following that which they had wanted accomplished. But fear is what drove them to go to Pilate and to have the tomb sealed and to ask him to post a guard so that a manufactured resurrection would not occur. See, it doesn't matter what side of the story you're on in this story today. Because both sides, whether it's for Jesus and His ministry and His life or those who have accomplished the ultimate punishment for Him, they're both in fear of what could happen. Of what could happen. Whether it was their name with a cross, their cross with a name, their name on it. Or whether it was the disciples staging a resurrection. They're driven in fear. But this morning we read an accounting of two women who go to a tomb in fear, but who approach the tomb, needing to comfort themselves, needing to deal with their grief. They came to prepare their friend's body and to prepare it for the transition from bodily form back to the earth. They came not in hope, anticipating something greater than they could imagine. See, I don't think Mary... And and the other women that were with her went to the tomb anticipating anything but the tomb. They didn't go projecting and talking about the resurrection that Jesus had, had said would happen. They didn't go talking about the events and saying, well, you know, he did say this. 
Because I think they're in their fear. They were frozen. And they were looking, and they were just looking right, right in front of them. They weren't looking to the future and thinking about what could have happened. And so they came needing to express themselves in their mourning by caring for the body. They came not in anticipation, not in hope, not in looking for the head. And so they came this morning anticipating a stone, not anticipating resurrection. They came that morning prepared to face death. They didn't come prepared to experience life. They came to the tomb expecting to, to comfort one another and to express their love of Jesus by preparing His body. But instead they came and the body was gone and they received the angels who gave them a message of hope. They received the resurrection, the raising of Jesus from the dead, and they themselves were chosen to serve as the first witnesses for God's final act of victory over death, so that we, as imperfect as we are and as flawed as we are, can have a perfect relationship with God, as He envisioned in the very beginning in the Genesis and the Garden of Eden, as He envisioned a perfect relationship with His creation, with Adam and Eve and all of humanity. See, it's in the resurrection that God gives us the opportunity to have a perfect relationship with Him. Not on our own merit or the things that we do, but through His Holy Spirit and by His Son, Jesus Christ. The woman came expecting and, and expecting to experience death and grief. And instead of experiencing death and grief, God gave them and made them participants in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He made them witnesses. They came in the lowest of lows. They came in in the, the, the deepest pit. They came expecting to deal with trials and ills and death. And yet there God gave them life. Because that is life. We too live our lives expecting to deal with the trials and ills that we face each day. We look to others to help us in our time of need as we experience forgiveness, as we offer and receive comfort, as we share and receive the love of others. Yet through the Holy Spirit, God takes those times and those emotions and those feelings and He transforms them into something else. See, the women went to the tomb in their fear. The disciples gathered there in the home in Jerusalem in their fear. And each time they encountered the risen Christ and their fear was transformed to hope. Because the resurrection is just that. It's God taking the evil and the ills and the things that burden us and the things that are holding us back. And He transforms it into the hope that comes to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. A hope that we receive and, by, and as we're equipped with the Holy Spirit. It's a hope that we take and we share and we offer it to other people and we experience it ourselves and we receive it. Not because we've earned it. Not because it's ours to give. But simply because God never gave up on humanity. Even after sin, even after the generations of the Israelites stood against Him even after they worshipped other gods, even after we have chased other idols. God transforms our fear into hope.
And so it's in the resurrection that He takes our fears and our hurts and our pains and He transforms them into the hope that He offers you through Jesus Christ. See, we can't read the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ without receiving the hope that God gives us. For it's in hope that we gather each day to witness and worship with one another. It's in hope that we gather and we proclaim the affirmations of faith in which we say that Christ was resurrected and that through Christ God offers us life. It's in hope that we receive the gift that we talk about next week. The gift of the Holy Spirit through which and by which God guides us and directs us. See, God takes through the resurrection our fear and our anger and our hopes and our pains and He turns it to hope so that we can believe in Him, so that we can approach Him and so that we can have a relationship with Him. Jesus appeared to the disciples following His resurrection. Not to scare Him, not just to prove that His resurrection was true. But He came to offer them hope. And He came to offer them life. And He came to offer them the opportunity and the knowledge to know that it was their job to take this message that He'd given them. And to share it with the world. He gathered with them and He told them that the things that were happening had to be fulfilled. That the Messiah will suffer and rise and repentance and the forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed. And there will be witnesses. So then in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, He said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus takes our fears, our anger, our ills, everything that we carry and He transforms it to hope so that you and I can go and be And serve as the disciples that He's called us to be. Teaching others, sharing with others. And offering them this gift of grace and life that we've been given. Because God doesn't stop on fear. God transforms the fear in our lives and gives us the hope. That comes to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the resurrection. Amen.